Welcome to the Big Drink Rethink podcast with me, your host, Anna Donaghy. If you've noticed that the drinking culture in the UK is changing and you're curious about why and what this means to your world, then this is the podcast for you. Throughout this series, I will be chatting with the thought-provoking, forward-thinking people at the heart of this shift to find out what makes them tick and to explore the sober curious perspective from all angles. And I'll also be giving you oodles of personal tools and tactics to help you get on board the big drink rethink. So hello, and today I am talking to Laura Bartlett. Laura is the pioneering founder and publisher of the globally acclaimed magazine House of Coco. Her entrepreneurial journey, the success of of House of Coco, is marked out by a level of resilience, determination, and self-belief that I really find inspiring. And if that in itself wasn't enough for me to want her on the show, Laura also gave up drinking about, oh, she's going to correct me on this, I'm going to say 15 months ago. And she celebrates this really openly on social media. So I very, very much wanted to talk to her about that too. So welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I feel like I need to take you everywhere just to introduce me when I walk into a room. (laughs) (laughs) You can take me everywhere. I've seen the places you go to. I'm I'm, I'm very happy to come along. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. You know, the energy and the positivity you bring is brilliant. So I'm very excited to see where this takes us. But to kick off, for those who aren't aware of your background, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story behind House of Coco and why your narrative is so, I I guess, celebrated for its tenacity, especially amongst young business hopefuls. Yeah, so House of Coco is a magazine that I started 10 years ago. I was in a coffee shop bankrupt after having a company prior to that which had failed. I'd taken on to Dragon's Den and at the time it was a local fashion magazine and I'd asked for investment to turn it into a global publication. But Peter Jones basically told me to quit and said that it would never work. And I went on and proved them wrong that same year. But on the back of the exposure from the show were loads of opportunities. And one of them was to partner with The Clothes Show, which at the time was the kind of biggest event in fashion. And my magazine, Elle and Cosmopolitan, were the media partner. So of course, I think I'm making a shed load of money. I thought at least half a million quid. Anyway, I made five pounds. So somebody went into liquidation and I got made bankrupt. And so 10 years ago, with that little story behind me, I had this idea that actually, you know what, I'm going to try again. But this time I'm going to focus on travel and what learning from the past mistakes of the previous company where I wanted to do everything myself and I wanted it all to be mine, mine, mine. I sort of changed my mindset and decided that House of Coco is in fact going to be a platform for my team and for other people to have life experiences all over the world that they would have otherwise never have had access to. And so for the last 10 years, that's what we've been doing, like living our best lives. I think I thought that I coined that phrase, but everybody says it now. And Myself and my team have seen every single corner of the globe. We have worked with all the luxury brands you can imagine. I was sponsored by Land Rover for five years. I had a free Range Rover. You know, we've done some really amazing things. Um, And yeah, now I'm just about to reach my 10-year anniversary and have planned to do a big party. 
But once again, my mindset has changed and I've just grown so much as a person and I'm actually working on exiting the company now. So yeah, I think that's uh, my life in a nutshell, my career anyway. Yeah, that's brilliant. Whirlwind, whirlwind tour. So, okay, so this obviously makes loads and loads of sense because amongst many other things, you are well known for your sort of female entrepreneurship, um, entrepreneurship in general, basically, and your motivation, your motivation, you know, ab- above everything, which is so clear, having had the sort of the knockback of Dragon's Den, being told that you were zigging when the market was zagging and it wasn't going to work. Um, you were like, uh-uh, not listening. Uh, where does that come from? Where does that motivation come from? I just feel like I've always been that way. And I just know it's from my parents. My mum and dad told me, you know, from a really young age, my whole life was just about being happy. There was a really poignant moment in my childhood when I was eight years old. And my mum and dad woke me and my brother up in the middle of the night. And they sat us on their knee and they said, Gavi was gone and he's not coming back. And he was our cousin and he was 14 years old he was supposed to go home at 8 p.m and he called his mum my auntie and asked if he could stay out for another hour and in that hour he fell 50 feet from a roof and he died so Mm. from that day on my mum and dad were always protective anyway but there was a serious shift from then on where it was very much like as long as you are alive and you are happy nothing else matters so I'd never had any pressure from my parents to you know education wise it was just about whatever makes you happy I'm just so happy you're alive um so I've had that freedom to just think for myself and without the pressure of my family or society and just really chasing my joy and then at the age of 15 I had two very clear thoughts one of them was I know everything there is to know I couldn't possibly learn anymore so fortunately I learned very quickly that was wrong but the other thought was that I knew I would work for myself so it was only a matter of time because what I realize now is as I get older, I have been loved every single day of my life. And that just means that nothing else matters. You know, failure doesn't matter. Uh, a company closing down doesn't matter because I'm still loved. And I thought that everybody was loved every single day of their life. But as I get older and I see so much despair in the world, I realize not everybody was. So how lucky am I? You know, how does it get any better than that? It's brilliant. I love that perspective. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a little, in a little while about your relationship with, with failure, because I think it's, you know, it's hugely important and it is definitely, definitely one of those things that always, you know, when it boils down to it, marks out the kind of the traits and the characteristic of an entrepreneur for sure. But, you know, as you say as well, huge amounts of support. And I guess parents who just gave you freedom, but also, you know, it's that really brilliant balance between freedom and security, protection and free reign, which is fantastic. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great parenting story in its, in its own right, isn't it? So I think a lot of parents want their child to follow in their footsteps because they know that's the safe route because they can say, well, look, it worked out for me. Therefore, you should follow this path too. But that just means they're living in fear. I just know that I'm here for my own personal journey just like my parents are and you know we're all souls that are connected but we all have a reason to be here and I just realize more and more now that my purpose is so much more than 
the label of an entrepreneur or you know being a publisher like it's so much more than that I think we just need to remove these boxes that we put ourselves in where we kind of claim these titles because then you can only be you within the constraints of what that title allows so my next kind of chapter in life is very much about I don't you know I don't need a label to define me I am enough without the association of all these other things and I just think it's a much more freeing way to live my God, I mean, it. yes, <laughs> yes, it definitely, <laughs> definitely is. I mean, it's it's unarguable, isn't it? But I suppose finding finding that place, finding yourself in that place, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And I, and I guess it is, as you say, a sort of a journey for a lot of people. So let me, let me just bring you back one second then. Things are going really well for House of Coco. You've got a job that takes you all over the world, you know, and from the outside looking in, there's no doubt about it for a lot of, you know, young business people, young women in particular, you were living the dream. Let me just, because we're talking about labels as well, and let, let me just bring you to that decision to ditch alcohol and become a non-drinker. And you're very, very happy to kind of carry around the sort of the, the, the label of sobriety um, and talk very loud and proudly about that. It's a it's a really interesting one for me, though, because I'm I am guessing that alcohol was incredibly ingrained in the lifestyle that you have created around your job. So f- this this says to me, oh, here she goes again, swimming against the tide. <laughs> what, what was what was what, what was going on there? Yeah, alcohol was definitely ingrained in my industry, and I just think in life in general. And it wasn't until I looked back through my phone to create a reel on Instagram to shout about the fact that I'd been sober for well it's 16 months now but I've realized quite how much of a role alcohol played in my life and I used to just see it as this this is so fun I'm just drinking champagne all the time to the point that strangers on the internet would tag me in champagne memes that's how much I used to drink it and um or someone would message me and go I've just seen this Prosecco candle in this in this shop and it made me think of you I'm like that's not the association that I want people to have like thinking of alcohol and they think about me but I I feel like when did we all decide that alcohol was a lifetime commitment anyway? Like, I don't remember signing that. I also lost my dad two and a half years ago and just getting through life without my dad was hard enough without having to factor in a hangover. And we've all said, it, you know, we drink alcohol and then we go, I'm never drinking again, I'm never drinking again. And then there we go, drinking again. And basically if you should not you shouldn't ask a clown why he's acting like a clown ask yourself why you keep going to the circus and that's what it was you know every week I'm like why am I still hungover oh because you drank so much alcohol yesterday and I just I just woke up that's the only way I can explain it I just woke up one day with a hangover and I said you know what this is the last time And from that day on, I adopted the mindset that I am not a drinker and I haven't touched, wanted or craved alcohol ever since. And it's the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. See, when I first met you and I asked you how you quit drinking, I loved your answer. Knowing what I know about you, I shouldn't have been surprised at all. But I I still was a little bit because we get so used to talking about people who go on a sort of a drinking journey but you just stopped. You just kind of went, I'm stopping. I am a non-drinker. 
and from that on you know that day on you didn't you 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 were kind of like I don't drink anymore since when Tuesday get over it you know it was kind of a commitment is a massive commitment that you just made to yourself and it's so important to keep the commitments that we make ourselves I don't think people really understand the science the the strength behind keeping your word to yourself because it does so much more for you than you will ever realize you build your self-trust your self-esteem you achieve that thing that you promised yourself you would achieve and then you look around and you say well what else can I achieve and it has a knock-on effect of every single aspect of your life. Yes, I gave up alcohol. So many people think of what they're losing. But I was looking at, well, what am I going to gain? And what I've gained is far more than the 26 letters of the alphabet would even allow me to verbalize. It's not even about the 50 pounds that I've lost or the fitness journey that I've been on where I'm now for dress sizes smaller and run 10ks every week and love working out and fitness and yoga and pilates it's my mental clarity my level of awareness and consciousness is to a an expansive level that i didn't even know was there before because it was being suppressed by alcohol so for that alone like why wouldn't you do this <laughs> you're obviously you know as, as a non-drinker now you know like like myself, you've discovered loads and loads and loads and loads of joys, many of them unexpected, um, some some of them a bit more obvious, obviously. But were you were you actually conscious when you were drinking that you were performing at a a suboptimal level? Because you were achieving. I mean, you were you were achieving, you were successfully building a business. And and I guess for all intents and purposes, there wouldn't have been a kind of a sense check there you know, things aren't going well for me here. What do I need to change? Were you were you conscious that it was, I guess, holding you back? Yeah, they definitely got to a point where I'd be drinking, you know, I, I never drank at home, but I had a big social life. So I'd be out every week and at least once a month, I'd get really drunk where I wouldn't even remember getting home. And then I'd wake up the next day and wonder if I'd eaten and there'd be a half-eaten pizza in the kitchen and stuff like that. Um, and I just thought, you know, if I can achieve what I'm achieving when I'm not at my 100%, imagine what I can do if I am. And I started getting to the point with alcohol where I would feel great for a few days, then I would have a hangover, and it would take two to three days to feel better. So just this constant roller coaster. And just like waking up to why am I putting this poison in my body? Wait, if everyone is doing the same thing, then everyone's thinking the same and somebody isn't thinking and if everyone's drinking alcohol and saying that it's cool then wait a minute my spidey senses are going off here what why am I doing this again am I doing this for me and just just a new level of awareness and asking those questions and and realizing actually just because it works for everyone else it doesn't work for me I, I genuinely you know I mean I, I had a drinking problem and I was very, very aware, therefore, of the issues that it was creating in my life. But I speak to so many people, so many people who just, you know, don't, I, I suppose, until they stop drinking, you don't, you don't appreciate what a sub sort of optimal level of existence you have 
it you know it's it's almost sometimes it's imperceivable even a small amount of alcohol in your system can bring you you know can bring your mood down can bring your energy levels down and the cycle that you're talking about there the one where you kind of wake up and it's like oh here we go again I mean that that takes its toll I mean I I always talk about the fact that um alcohol really narrows your world it puts you in a kind of tunnel vision in terms of you know ambition and what you believe you're capable of because it's it's it saps your energy and it just keeps you sort of stuck in this loop and you know getting getting rid of alcohol for me was just literally like going back and finding my energy and ambition for my 20s and 30s again it was incredible it's called alcohol and spirits you know spirits for a reason because it suppresses your spirit it literally kills you inside it suppresses your you know, the little whisper that we have from our soul, which is always so quiet because it's trying to shout amongst the, the loud noise of the negativity. And I can hear my inner voice so much clearer now. A lot of people say, well, I don't drink a lot or I only drink the odd glass here and there. And my response is always, well, if you don't drink a lot, then it won't be hard to stop, will it? Um, and I don't think people realize just how impactful it is, even if you only have two glasses of wine a week or three glasses of, of, of wine, whatever, even if you only have that small amount, we'll remove it because then you will see the benefits of not having it at all. But we've lived a world where champagne and alcohol has been glorified. You look back now, I'm much more conscious of anything that I watch on TV and I'll see alcohol in every single scene. It's only like back in the day when smoking was cool. We're very much getting to the same thing now with alcohol, where actually we're realizing this isn't got any positive impact. I, I think one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, you you obviously made a, a decision. You just woke up one day and you made that decision based on all the things you've just said. There is a brilliant simplicity in that decision in an absolute decision. So you make one decision, I'm not drinking anymore, which is, you know, easier in a way than the many decisions that are involved in something like moderation or setting yourself different guidelines where, you know, moderation by definition means you're making a series of lots of decisions every day or every week. Is this a day for drinking? How much am I drinking? When am I going to stop drinking? What am I going to drink? It's a sort of the power of the absolute commitment to yourself, which I think in there is a really the essence of entrepreneurship as well. There's a really, I'm going to go off on one here, but it's it's interesting. There's a really interesting model by a guy called Dan Sullivan, and he talks about it as being the kind of the essence of entrepreneurship. He talks about it as being kind of the core building blocks for growth and it's commitment. It's called the four C's, right? It's commitment, it's courage, capability and it's confidence and he says you know the commitment creates courage the courage creates capability the capability creates confidence and that's what I find really really profound it's the fact that confidence which is so often the thing that holds us back is not the key ingredient commitment and courage are the key ingredients and the capability and confidence are the the results, the output. It's that sense of just commit and have the courage of your own convictions, of your own commitments. 
And you will build a capability. You will become confident. You will prove to yourself that you are capable of this. Yeah, and I guess you could um, add another C onto the end of consistency because if you do it consistently, then you will feel all those things. And back to what you said in, at the start of that, it's, there is nothing more powerful than a made-up mind. Like you said, the energy that people are wasting sitting on the fence, either you're in or you're out, either you're quitting or you're not quitting. Stop pretending to yourself that you're going to quit to make you feel, yourself feel better because some people feel better for just saying, oh, I'm going to quit one day because that makes them feel less guilty for that day not being today. Yeah, and I, Dan, Dan Sullivan goes on and says something else really interesting as well, which is quite sort of challenging, but he he basically says, you know, given a difficult decision or a challenge, there's always fear involved. Um, and for lots of people, there's a load of fear involved in what, you know, what's life look like if I'm, if I'm not drinking. And you can either, you can do two things and only two things in a situation where you're confronting fear. The first is to avoid it, which is kind of procrastinate and sort of make those, I will at some point soon kind of decisions, or you can find courage and, and start off down, down that path. And I, I, I really, like the fact that confidence is not the prerequisite for starting because this is really really very good news indeed for anyone stuck in a place of low confidence um you you could have come out of dragon's den and you could have gone no that's it then you know um they didn't like my idea they told me it wouldn't fly they told me not to go into print they told me to stay in digital they told me my product wasn't great and I'm oh well you know, shit happens. You could, you could, you could have literally at that point said, "End of the story." And House of Coco would never have existed, but you didn't. No, because it's not the end of the story; it's the start of the story. And um, yeah, you know, somebody else's opinion does not have to become your reality. I think people allow other people to have too much power over them just because somebody doesn't like your idea. You know, it was given to you for a reason. It's for you to bring it to life. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to continue because what's the alternative? Sit at home and cry for the rest of my life. But, you know, I, I know that I have a purpose on this planet and it wasn't much more than, it's, it's even more than anything that I've even achieved yet. Have, having that commitment, it's not, it's not just a promise to yourself. It's, it's, it's about having a reason. It's about being driven by that sort of purpose or, or meaning. I think there's um, a lot, a lot around purpose at the moment. So many people talk about purpose, and then so many people talk about not having a purpose. And they're like, "I don't have a purpose," and then they feel like they've failed. I really, truly believe we all have the same purpose, and that is to become the best possible versions of ourselves to reach our full, true potential. Because if everyone was to do that, then it would just inspire everyone else to do it too. And what a beautiful world that would live in if everybody was at their full potential in terms of their happiness, their joy, their love, their compassion. I mean, I would much rather live in that world. Yes, absolutely. And I, I guess, you know, bringing it to, to the drinking thing again, you know, if confidence were key to overcoming drinking problems then it would certainly have been, you know, game over for me, you know, because I know all too well the ever-present sense of, you know, failure and complete lack of self-belief that can come from failed cycles of, of moderation, you know, but I 
thankfully, looking back, I committed, you know, what was my why? Who was I going to commit to, you know, my children? Or what was I going to commit to my future? And that, that, that was enough to start. That, if, if it had been based on confidence, no way. Not, not, not from where I was and from my where, you know, I, I know many people sit if they're stuck in those sort of cycles. How much more confident do you feel now? Oh, oh, it's, in, I mean, off, off the scale. What did you just say? There aren't enough letters in the alphabet to start, <laughs> you know, express it. Because it's, you know, because also from that place of self-doubt, that kind of commitment to myself, which, you know, bred the courage to, to start and, um, you know, the capability to continue. I, I, I look, I look back now and I just think to myself, life is, life is so different. And because it was my, clearly alcohol was my nemesis. It was the thing. It was like my kryptonite to Superman, you know, it was kind of like, it was, it was my nemesis. And, and because I have overcome it and because I have beaten it, it, it literally makes you feel off the scale, confident to be able to take on anything, anything at all. Is the thing that everyone drinks alcohol for, you know, people drink alcohol because they think it makes them more confident. They think it makes them more outgoing and funny and free flowing with life. But actually giving up alcohol is the thing that makes you all of the things that you're trying to get from, from alcohol. It's so ironic. It is. It is. So, it is literally about sort of unveiling, unveiling the truths. But again, you know, having having the courage to go there and dig around and you know unveil the truths and challenge. You know, challenge all the beliefs that we have. All of those beliefs. It makes us more confident. It makes us funnier. It makes us more sociable. Challenging all of those, and then having the sort of, I suppose, the self belief or the, the the desire to be true to yourself to say ultimately. This is not my choice. And actually, I was going to mention that a, a commitment is actually a choice at the end of the day. We all, we all have a choice. Um, you know, there's, I, rem- I remember coaching a lady um, a while back and I, I remember saying to her, so it was coming towards the end of our session and I said to her, so what does this evening look like? And she said, well, I'm probably going to have a few drinks. And I said to her, okay. I said, why, why are you going to have a few drinks? Oh, well, I'm going out for dinner, she said. I'm like, and? And she said, well, we always do. I was kind of, is someone, is someone holding a gun to your head? <laughs> you know, because, because that, that's a choice. You know, we, to do what we always do or to do what is going to please our friends or to do what our friends expect of us is a choice. So pleasing them is the very opposite of a commitment to yourself. If, you know, if, if that's one of the reasons why, you know, why you drink or why you feel compelled to drink. And I just think that authenticity, you know, asking yourself, is this what I want? Is this what I genuinely want rather than just why am I doing this? Or because everybody else is doing it. That's one of the topics that I find when I tell people that I don't drink. They go, oh my God, I really want to quit, but my friends won't want to hang out with me or, oh, I don't want to be the boring one. And everyone cares way too much what other people think of them. Whereas I was just coming from a place of, I care way too much what I think of me. I'm the one who has to be with me every single day. So I have to make sure that I like me and I love me and and I nourish and nurture my soul that's going to go on and live for infinity. So 
why would I want to poison it whilst I'm here? Um, I'm also realizing a lot of people are getting more social anxiety because they're preempting the fact that they're going to have to, well, I say going to have to, in inverted commas, get drunk and drink wine with their friends. So people are feeling anxious about going out because they know they're going to have to drink. Where it's like, if you just don't drink, then you won't feel anxious. Yeah. So that's an interesting, I, I did want to ask you that, you know, within within the world in which you inhabit sort of professionally and socially, are you in the non-drinking minority of your peers? Are you, or, or do you really see things shifting there? Do you see more people of your sort of um, lifestyle and generation not, not drinking now? Yeah, I definitely am seeing a shift. For me, I don't need to see somebody do something first. I just do it because I choose Whereas in the industry, in the world in general, other people need to see somebody walk that path first. And it's probably one of the most rewarding things that since I've quit alcohol, the amount of people that have messaged and told me that because I have, they have, because they can see my lifestyle where alcohol plays such a huge part. I check into a hotel every week and there's a bottle of champagne on arrival. I'll go to an event and there's champagne on arrival. There's uh, tasting menus and drinks and all this everywhere and I still say no with absolute certainty so people are watching that and being like well wait a minute if she can say no when her inbox is overflowing with invitations to restaurants and bars and free alcohol from brands then why can't I so I just find it really interesting and and, and nice to know that just by me taking care of myself it inspires other people to do the same I think because I'm sort of very aware of your um, the way the way you've built your business and the way the way that you communicate your business and promote your business, it is it is it is so public that you could be living a very different sort of drinking lifestyle than the one that the one that you do. So I think I I've no doubt at all that people sort of regard your sobriety as a sort of a very individual choice within that world, um, but a very inspiring one. Well, the people who will have followed me when I did drink, you know, the way that I am sharing my non-drinking, I did with the same level of passion for my drinking, you know, because I thought it was fun. I thought it was exciting. Like, you know, look at me and my champagne lifestyle. Um, I really enjoyed it at that time. But now I've kind of come out the other side, obviously, and, and would you know, no intention to ever go back. So especially the people that followed me for, you know, a few years, who will have seen me go from being that every single selfie had a glass of champagne in her hand to now I'm like doing Pilates and going to yoga. Like we, it shows people that you can change your mind at any time, that choices are there and you can make them and change them whenever you want. Um, and, and it's like, I might, there might be other things that I quit, other things that I change. I'm, I'm much more self-aware and I'm much more conscious of my unconscious thoughts. So really listening to my thoughts around alcohol. When I decided to quit and I just said, I am not a drinker, anytime alcohol would come up in my mind, I would, you know, maybe it was like in the first couple of weeks, I might fancy a glass of wine. I would just switch that thought in my mind to be like, I am not a drinker. I do not drink alcohol and changing the thoughts to rewire my brain. So that now the the thought of having a glass of wine wouldn't even enter my head. And I think what you said earlier, which, you know, I'm going to sort of pick up on as well, is this idea of turning, you know, that moment of, ooh, you know, a glass of wine into, 
I get to not do this. I get to not drink a glass of wine and I, you know, the things that I'm going to gain from that decision rather than the things that I lose from that decision to always frame it, to always frame it in that way. Um, you know, that sort of positive choice rather than um, sort of negative denial, as it were, is really, really important, really important. And what you were saying about you sort of touched on fear before, a lot of people don't quit because they are then kind of journeying into the unknown where they'd much rather stay in the comfort of knowing what drinking will give them. If they give up alcohol, then it's opening up a whole new world that they don't know yet. And that to some people is scary and to to others is, is exciting. And actually fear and excitement physiologically do the same thing in our bodies. It's just how we interpret that psychologically. So I have never in my lifetime experienced fear. I don't know fear, but I know excitement. So when other people feel fear, that's what I call excitement. So we don't realize just quite how powerful our thoughts are and the fact that we have the ability to retrain our minds to think in a way that will just open up doors that we didn't even know existed. But some people don't want to admit that because if you find out that you are powerful beyond measure, well, that can be scary to some, but then to others, it can be exciting. That that brings me on to a question that I wanted to ask you very much actually about your relationship uh, with failure. You know, li- literally, what is your relationship with failure? Because I'm, I'm, I'm getting a deep vibe here that you don't, recognize failure as a negative thing that you know if you want to do something you throw yourself into something and failure is just part of you know a learning journey is that is that a fair assumption or I mean what's your take on it that is definitely spot on I see failure as an opportunity to grow and learn so when I, I think the difference between successful people and those that are not is the amount of time you spend feeling sorry for yourself. So when the shit hits the fan and something happens, if you can quickly think, instead of being like, oh no, I can't believe this has happened, instead, the quicker you can say, what is this trying to teach me? Then you can see it with different eyes. So I've put that into practice with my bankruptcy and my failed company and all these tools that I'd learned throughout my life from my parents, you know, through through love, through self-love, that I really had to put into practice two and a half years ago when my dad passed away. Because prior to that, I didn't know sadness. I didn't know um, anger or lack or loneliness. I didn't know these feelings. So losing my dad, I reached a dark place that I didn't even know existed. And so then I could understand people with depression. Then I could understand how, you know, people do quit on their dreams because when you are in a dark place, it is hard to get out. But it was an opportunity for me to use all the tools that I've gained throughout the years. And so how I got out of that space was having the ability to think greater than the situation that I was in. So even when it was darkness, I could still have a vision in my, in my mind of how I was going to feel in the future, what my life was going to look like in the future. And our brain doesn't know the difference between the thought and the feeling and the actual reality of the event. So by just thinking that I, I look good, thinking that I feel good, 
thinking that I have so much energy, thinking and feeling about how happy and joyful I'm going to be in the future. And two and a half years later, I am that exact thing that I saw first in my mind. So I wish people would start to understand just the power of our thoughts and the fact that we truly, truly are the creators of our lives. You know, we're so consumed in like content creators on social media chasing likes on Instagram, but we are all creators of our lives. And there's a difference between leaving your life up to fate and really stepping into your destiny. And your destiny is when you create your vision for your future and you see it so much every day and live it in your mind and feel it until you open your eyes and it's your reality. So yeah, I see the loss of my dad. The lesson that was teaching me was that I am more powerful than I ever realized. And also if I believe that everyone goes when it's their time and whilst my dad was only 57 and and forever wouldn't have been long enough I look up I look at this and I think well my dad if he had served his purpose his purpose was to show me unconditional love and so therefore it's my duty to spread that around the world and to show yourself yeah unconditional love exactly yeah yeah and I but I but I think that sense of self-compassion and self-kindness and self-love for many well it's it's I think it's crucial to to anyone on an alcohol journey where they're potentially their dark place might evolve around alcohol and they're looking at a future that they don't think is attainable and they're being held back by um a fear of failure then I think you know to sort of be able to look at failure as a as a sort of a learning I always I always say to people when I'm coaching people again you know the the goal of this the goal of life without wanting to sound sort of too sort of melodramatic is learning and therefore if you if you look at the goal the ultimate goal for us to be sort of that sort of self-mastery that um fulfilling our own potential and learning as we feel our way through life what it is that that is all about, then there there can't be failure. There can't be failure if learning is the goal because every single experience teaches you something. So if I say to people, you know, let's, you know, let's not drink for the next week and then they have a drink and they go, oh, failed. It's like, no, what, learn, learn from that. You know, why did it happen? What are the situations? What are the triggers? What are your emotions? Just learn from it and then just carry on. Just, you know, just just carry on and accumulate as much sort of personal insight as you possibly can. And that, every time you do that, it's it's progress. It's it's massive. It's massive. I know it's um people always laugh at me because I quote obscure things, but I think it's, you know, Hen- Henry Ford of all people once said that you've only failed when you've stopped trying. Um it's true. It's massive. It's a it's a huge thing in in any aspect of life. You know, if if learning is your goal, you cannot fail, and therefore you've only really failed if you've stopped trying. I think. Well, I I actually have been so much more sort of self aware of the the messages that I tell myself and the story that I have, and when it comes to failure, so many people fear that because ultimately they feel. Uh, they fear humiliation 
And I came to this conclusion when I was looking back over my career over the last 10 years. And when I started my first magazine, it was to prove my old box wrong. When I started Oko magazine, it was to prove Peter Jones wrong. And last year I had a, an issue with a guy who, who almost scammed me out of my entire website and quarter of a million pounds, but fortunately he didn't. And so stepping into this year was about proving him wrong. And then I kind of just, I feel like it's been about a month since I've had this true, true awakening. Um, and I look at that situation and that repetitive narrative of proving people wrong. And when I unpick it, I used to think that proving people wrong was like my motivation, you know, got me out of bed in the morning. But now when I look back on that, I think proving people wrong is in fact fear of failure in a different mm. jacket. And then I thought, well, but I don't fear anything. I'm fearless. Therefore, I don't care if I fail and I don't have to prove anything to them because I don't care what they think of me. So therefore, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. And actually, I am just enough regardless of whether my business succeeds or fails. I am still worthy regardless of how much money I have in the bank account, how many accolades and awards I've got. You know, I'm still worthy even when no one's looking. So having that awareness of like, what are these stories we tell ourselves and and how can I change that narrative in order to grow and step into the best possible version of myself? Um, I live by myself. So, you know, I like to make sure that I'm really conscious of where I spend my time, who I spend my time with. And I leave post-it notes around the house and on my mirror in my ensuite, the one that was in there this morning was, how would my highest self show up today? And it's like, actually, you know, my highest self, well, she wouldn't drink wine, would she? And and she wouldn't eat a burger and she wouldn't scroll Instagram for two hours. My highest self, she'd go to Pilates. She'd have some nice fruit. She'd go to the farmer's market. So every day stepping into the highest self as opposed to the familiar past. So many people don't have motivation to get out of bed in the morning because they've resigned to the fact that the life tomorrow is going to be the same as the life was yesterday but it's again back to the choice you can choose actually tomorrow I'm going to wake up and something limitless and amazing could happen and actually I've started doing this um little thing where when I wake up in the morning the first thing I say is how does it get any better than this and so it primes your brain to be constantly looking for better, more magical experiences. And I did it yesterday and I woke up. How does it get any better than this? You know, how does it get any better than the fact that you've just woken up for a whole new day of possibility? You know, billions of souls wanted a body and we've <laughs> got one. Like, why are you here? Um, and so then I was like, how does it get any better than this? And then I went downstairs to check out my hotel. And when it was time to pay for my parking, it was 25 quid. The woman was like, don't worry, you don't have to pay for it. I was like, oh, that's so nice. How does it get any better than this? I went for lunch with my friend and when the bill came, she insisted on paying for it. I was like, how does it get any better than this? And so throughout the day, all these like magical synchronicities and co no, you know, synchronicities are not coincidences. Everything happens for a reason. Um, and I just think if we change our mindset, that that is how you find joy if you look for it. There's so much in what you've just said. The the sort of um, that there's an there's a sort of an adage, isn't there? That the sort of the most important relationship that we have is the one that we have with ourselves, and that's that's what you're talking about when you 
say, you know, forgetting what other people feel and forgetting what other people think and forgetting what other people expect of you. It's about, you know, living by your own values. And I was going to ask you, you've, you've kind of already just said, you know, about, you know, the routines and the things that you put in place in life to make sure that you are um, you, you mentioned something when we met, Laura, about, I, I love the sentence, I'm going to steal it and mention it here. Um, you talked about this idea of living life in the vision of your future. And that, what you've just talked about there is, you know, having a very clear sense of how life can get better and what you want from life. And then living every day as if that's already happening um and then where's the cherry on the cake where's the next cherry on the top of the cake all that sort of stuff i mean that's that's it's routine it's there's a, there's a, there is a discipline involved in that kind of um you know have, having a compass a, a personal compass like that do you do you have a, i mean do you have a morning routine apart from post-it notes on the mirror and and things like that because that there is there is undeniably an element of self-discipline and you know corralling your thoughts to always feel like that yeah I mean discipline or devotion it depends which way you want to look at it but I do have a morning routine and it starts the night before when I turn my phone off every single night maybe at six maybe at seven because what do I need to be looking on my phone for after seven o'clock at night um turn my phone off and then I will always write in my journal what I've done that day what could I have done better what went well um and then when I wake up in the morning I don't turn my phone off airplane mode until I mean sometimes 10 or 11 but if I've got a meeting then I'll turn it on um so this morning for example I woke up at half five don't have an alarm I wrote in my journal some ideas that came to me in my dreams actually and wrote all that down and then I had a candle lit bath and got myself ready and made my breakfast and then turned my phone on and here we are then other days I'll go to the gym or go for a run or whatever but for me it's really really important to have time to myself in the morning um so that I can fill up my cup and serve from the overflow brilliant another brilliant phrase Oh, Laura. No, well, honestly, I, I knew this conversation was going to be um, full, full of inspiration. Um, I am conscious of the time and I'm really conscious of the fact that we could talk forever. I know I know we could. I'm going to I'm going to probably wind things down. But I just wanted to ask you one one thing, really, you know, knowing obviously this is the big drink rethink and there are people out there who are thinking, oh you know is my drinking really that bad do I need to rethink my drinking um and there'll also be people out there who know they should be rethinking their drinking but they they're feeling feeling the fear what would your what would your advice be sorry to put you on the spot (laughs) no no it's all good if you're thinking about it then I think that's enough of a sign that you probably should stop because if you didn't think it was an issue, you wouldn't even be having the thoughts that it might be an issue. And it can seem quite scary, I guess, for some people at first, but just set yourself a little goal. When I started, I thought, I just want to get to 100 days and see how I feel. And then all of a sudden, it was 100 days and the time had gone so quickly and it had actually been so easy. And I thought, wow, I'm already feeling good. I think I really felt the benefits after six months and then now, you know, 16 months later, the, you know, how does it get better than this? I can't comprehend how I could have any more 
consciousness and awareness of what's going on in the world and just how limitless we are. Brilliant. Well, thank you very, very much for your time, Laura. I'm off to um, live this day in the vision of my future. I love it. (laughs) Brilliant. So thank you so, so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to speaking again at some point. Thank you for listening and getting curious. Please rate, review and follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're choosing to listen. And don't forget to tune in to the next episode. And you can find out more about The Big Drink Rethink by heading to my website, thebeliefscoach.com. That's thebeliefscoach.com, where you will see clear links to the show. Thank you.